Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. It is Easter Monday and a blessed Easter to all of you as the light of Jesus shines on us. Crazy enough from the resurrection account from Matthew chapter 28. The third day, everything was just moving along. People were grieving, but yet it looked like just another person had passed away. But the next step to prepare the body revealed that there's one person who would rise from the dead and stay risen, and that person is Jesus. The angel said the these beautiful words that I love to sing as well. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. That is the center of our faith. We look to the cross, we look to the empty tomb, and we have hope no matter our situation. I have so many Easter hymns ringing in my ear right now that I want to start singing. I might start singing throughout our time. Maybe my guests will start singing during their time. I'm not sure, but all of it, we have the joy of knowing our Lord has risen from the dead. So open up your Bibles. See the empty tomb, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word with the resurrection account today, we welcome for the first time Pastor Eric Mulquin of St. John Lutheran Church of Sherwood, Ohio. Pastor Mulquin, a blessed Easter to you, hallelujah, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Thank you for bringing out the joy of the season, Brady, and thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, Pastor, this is our first time together on KFUO. Um, So tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at St. John. Sure. I'm here in Sherwood, Ohio, which is in the northwest corner of the state of Ohio. For listeners who may more know where Fort Wayne is, we are just under an hour's drive from Fort Wayne across the state border. I'm here serving the saints of St. John, married to my wife, Caitlin. we got four kids, and uh, this is a great place to serve. And in the Easter time especially, Brady, as you know, what a joy it is to bring the good news to God's people. And so, Pastor, I'm going to start this way uh, before we pray, is what is your favorite Easter? Actually, I'm going to say this again, that I'm going to ask all my guests, hopefully throughout the whole Easter season, what is their favorite Easter hymn? So what is your favorite Easter hymn, Pastor? There are so many to choose from. <laughs> I have to go, though, on the basis of great words and a strong but beautiful melody. Number 482 in our Lutheran service book, This mm-hmm. Joyful Easter Tide. This joyful Easter tide, away with sin and sorrow, my love, the crucified, has sprung to life this morrow, is how it starts. Mm, yeah, so a reminder to your listeners that you can look this up online. I mean, you can look up this joyful Easter tide if you have your own hymn, though, which I think is a great idea to have. What a great song that is, and a great tune, by the way, too. This joyful Easter tide away with sin and sorrow. See, I had to start singing already, but that's just a great reminder. There's a few things for us to remember that there is no room for people to deny the physical resurrection of Jesus. 
There's no room for what we call Gnosticism, where we deny the physical. And there's no room when we look at the resurrection to question the historicity of it as well. So that is what this hymn right there, 482, for you, our listeners, if you are at your church, you should ask your pastor to sing this this next Sunday. Uh, or if you are a pastor, sing it this Sunday as well. What a great hymn to start us off. So, Pastor, as we are, well, we're excited here. Let's get this thing going. Can you begin our time in prayer? Sure. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, fill us with joy in this Easter season. As with the women, we come with great, perhaps fear at first, but ultimately joy. We come to your empty tomb, and we know by faith what the women saw with their own eyes, that your tomb is empty, that you are not there, for you are risen, just as you said. We take the joy of that promise, Lord Jesus, into this Easter season. Bless our proclamation. Bless our faith. Bless us, Lord, in your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions concerning our resurrection text today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor, we're going to start this way. I will read the resurrection account from Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 1 through 15, and then come back for our first thoughts, because I like how um, our conversation has been to this point before the program, um, is that there's a few things that we've heard it often, but there's a few things always kind of pop up in our mind. But if we just, you know, if we just have the, um, the proclamation on Sunday morning, you know, we 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 have a lot to do on Easter morning. Just like yesterday, it's like okay, I got do this song and do this. There's communion. There's tons of people. There's Easter breakfast. There's all these things, and we don't quite dig in as deep as we often should. And I know I don't at least. So there's a lot of things that will kind of pop up that hopefully we can address. And I'd love to kind of look at some of those questions as we begin. But first, let's hear the word of God. And reminder to our listeners: as you look at the scriptures today, Matthew 28. I love right before this, I wanted to highlight this, verse 66 of chapter 27, it says, so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. I love that language because he makes it very obvious. This was not like they put some haphazard, wimpy stone in front of it and didn't think twice about it. It is they sealed it and then they had a guard standing there to make sure that no one tried to claim there was a resurrection. So that, with that in mind, we hear the word of God. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, 
and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard, some behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while he was asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is our, our word this morning of the gospel from Matthew 28, Pastor. There's a lot that we could cover, but maybe background or main themes or just things that kind of come up as we give a first reading. Yeah, as I read through that with you, I'm thinking of Paul's words near the end of Romans chapter 8, where he brings the full scope of the story of what God has done with his creation uh, creating it, redeeming it, sending Christ to bring it out of death and destruction. And towards the end of chapter 8, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And one of the things in that list of things that cannot separate us from his love is death. And we see on what basis the Christian in St. Paul can make that claim that nothing, not even death, can separate us from God. And the basis of the claim is here in Christ's own empty tomb. I love how you started our reading in chapter 28 with that last verse of chapter 27, mm. mentioning the tomb being secured with the seal on the stone and then setting the guard. And because you were bringing up Easter hymns, I thought of a stanza from Christ the Lord is risen today. Mm. And listen to what this stanza says, Brady, about the stone and the seal and the guard. So here's that stanza from Christ the Lord is risen today. Vain the stone, the watch, the seal. Christ has burst the gates of hell. Death in vain forbids his rise. Christ has opened paradise. He has opened paradise. All those things, the stone, the watch, the seal are set in vain. Christ has burst the gates of hell. And that is the basis for that hope that we have along with St. Paul that nothing, you know, not even death, can separate us from God's love. Hmm. And that's, you know, I, I don't think that I've quite made, I mean, I know the connection, and I'm not disagreeing or anything like that, but it's like, yeah, there is that connection, because Romans 8 is a perfect text that we use for funerals. Um, definitely one that I suggest if a, if a family doesn't know what they want to have. And I can now it's even clearer and a clearer proclamation as we preach at a funeral the reality of that seal is broken, right? I mean, the, the, the tomb is empty and heaven's gates are wide open. That's a, a great way of knowing our Lord is always with us and will be with us forever. Anything else, Pastor, before we dig in a few, uh, probably a verse by verse to reality as we look at our text today? One thing I think we forget to do when we're reading, especially through the gospel, uh, the gospel accounts that we know well in terms of its content. You know, we know what happens here on Easter morning. Uh, we can't forget, though, I think, to really um, take the information in the account as it comes, and that allows us, I think, to sit uh, in the emotion of the text. Uh, for example, to journey here with Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, to the empty tomb uh, in a state of mind where, uh, you know, they don't know what awaits them at the tomb. So for us, 
to put ourselves kind of in their shoes, so to speak, uh, and to go with them um, and, uh, and, and to see the surprise uh, that's there in finding that our Lord has risen. You know, there too uh, is another Easter hymn, if you don't mind my mentioning it. Hallelujah, <laughs> Jesus is risen. <laughs> yeah, and in that hymn, one of the phrases I love is that Jesus is described as Jesus, our blessing, our constant surprise. I love thinking of that notion that the joy of Jesus' empty tomb can continually surprise us. So let's go with the women to the tomb and let's find that surprise that they found that first Easter morning. Let's do it. Let's begin just with verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, one of my strong emphases that, that I learned this during seminary, and Dr. Gibbs was very clear on this, is like, we don't want to go too quickly to comparing all the resurrection accounts. So today, just a reminder to our listeners, I mean, we might mention other resurrection accounts, but our focus is just to go Matthean on you, <laughs> if you will. And so our focus <laughs> here is what we know from what Matthew tells us is that there was Mary and the other Mary. Pastor, any insights on on what they're doing, who they are, any other background? Right. They're coming to the tomb. They are hoping to do, um, uh, to take steps in what would have been burial rites of the day to prepare Jesus' body uh, for its ultimate and final burial. Who are these women? Mary Magdalene, she's pretty clearly identified, right? She's named there in verse 1. And the other one is a little bit of a mystery, perhaps, uh, just <laughs> called to us by the term the other Mary, you know, because there's two of them. We got to distinguish between them. But uh, there's uh, a strong possibility that this is the same Mary who is identified uh, in Matthew 27, uh, verse 56, as Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, who was in attendance at the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think our, our main takeaway here is, especially with Mary Magdalene being identified by name, This verse 1 of chapter 28, it establishes this fact, that the same women who witnessed Jesus's death on the cross and who even stood by witnessing his burial, they are the same women who show up on Sunday morning. So they have already seen the grim toll of the cross and the loss of our Savior's life there. They come with those heavy hearts to the tomb, and there they find this surprise that awaits. And I love how you put that because we get so caught up in the joy, right, that we forget the grief that was there. And I think this is probably a good reminder for us, too, when we go through our own grief of losing somebody um, that we love or the grief of, of just being around death at all, that that's what these women were experiencing at this point. We could try to make an argument and say, well, they probably knew. Well, even if they might have kind of known, they did see, a, like you said, a very bloody death. They saw an awful death, however it happened. Um, whatever the details are, they witnessed something that would be quite traumatizing. And if you ever talk to someone who's lost somebody, and if you were to ask them like a month later, two months later, a year later, what were the first few days like? They probably have no idea because they're so deep in grief that they're not able to really understand everything they're doing. They're getting stuff done, but they don't fully understand it. And so it truly is a testament to that these ladies 
were grieving, but yet they knew they had to do something, so they were doing it. They're probably so deep in grief that that it was it was quite traumatizing. So I love how you brought that forward to us today because that is something that I always, um, not always, but I've often neglected in this text. Any thoughts on that, the grief that they might have been going through or they would have been going through at this stage? That's a great observation. Later on, it'll come back into play, I think, when we see the emotional reaction to the message that the women are given. You know, they depart the tomb with great joy, yes, but there's also a fear there. And we can get into that deeper on as we get into that part of the text. But the fact that there is so much confusion, uh, some of the background there might be exactly what you just said, this deep trauma that they would have had carrying around with them, witnessing the death of their master, their rabbi, their Lord. Mm. So let's keep, let's keep plowing through because this, I'm, I'm excited to get to verse eight now. So anyways, um, verse two uh-huh. and behold, I, you know what? I want to stop there right now is throughout the gospel of Matthew, behold is quite often. I keep going back to when, um, when in, in Matthew two, when the wise men show up or the magi show up, it's like, behold, you better, this is time to listen up because something's going to happen here that's not normal, that Gentiles are coming to find the king. And that's where we see often a, a reference to showing us, hey, this kingdom is different when you hear the word behold. So I encourage everybody, when you hear the word behold, if you read Matthew again, look out. Um, the kingdom of Christ is being revealed even more clearly. So verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Oh, boy. I, I, I'm just going to stop there real quickly. Uh, Pastor, any thoughts on verse 2? Because we could do more, but I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Verse 2, anything? Yes, the earthquake. Oh, it is somewhat of a peculiar uh, incident here uh, at, at the empty tomb, and it is unique to Matthew's account mm-hmm. of the resurrection. You mentioned, Brady, at the beginning of our time that there's so much we could do comparing the resurrection account across the four Gospels, and that could be certainly its own presentation in its own time. However, I think it is unique to note there that Matthew is the only one who mentions uh, that earthquake, and immediately what I'm thinking about, and you and our listeners probably are too, is the earthquake that has previously occurred in Matthew, and that is when Jesus has lost his life on the cross, he dies, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, and we are told, uh, and if your listeners are in their Bibles, this is Matthew 27, verse 51 and 52, that the earth shook. This is when Jesus died. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Verse 52, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. What you have in this earthquake is a clear marker that God is at work. And he is literally arranging uh, the, the order and structure of creation to show his people that he is up to something here. God is at work in this earthquake. And that's where, well, any thoughts on this? Because someone could say, oh, then what you're saying is, you know, that God's at work in every earthquake. What would you respond when someone says that? Yeah, the message of the angel is really what helps us frame and understand God's action here uh, at the empty tomb. Because I suppose an earthquake by itself, it, right? you can't really parse that out to say what God's thinking here. 
the women don't know yet, just from this earthquake, that the tomb will be empty, but it's the angel, and it's that proclaimed word of God spoken through the messenger, the angel, uh, that tells them what this earthquake means. And uh, we are getting there in the narrative, but All right. that earthquake paired with that message. Got it. So let's, let's make sure we focus on that is, so like you said, he needs, there needs to be a messenger or else we just do this, you know, uh, interpretation by the heart or what our eyes see or whatever it might be. But we need an angel comes. He just simply sits on the stone. I, is there anything else you want to highlight in verse two? Like you said, there's, there's a lot more and they'll unveil it later, but anything else in verse two? Yeah, let's get to what that angel says. All right, (laughs) let's go to verses 3, and we will go through verse 5. Verse 5, 3. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen as he has said, come see the place where he lay. So the angel has a message, and he has an appearance that is quite striking, and all of that comes together, and, and explain, proclaim that to us. What, what is he saying? Sure. The angel, we know that this is an angel sent from God. He is specifically described as being an angel of the Lord in verse 2, and his appearance is unique. It's white as snow. What struck me doing a little study on this phrase here, white as snow, this is actually the same phrase that's used to describe St. John's vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus' appearance was white as snow. So there is something unique about this angel. He is sent as a messenger from the Lord. And uh, you see through the reaction uh, that is commonly had in Scripture by those who are given a vision of an angel. You know, those to whom an angel appear, what's their reaction? It's in verse 4, fear. <laughs> the guards are afraid, right? For fear of him, they tremble, they become like dead men. And so it's interesting because, yeah, when we think of angels, we think of a nice kind of, um, the 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 um, the way we see an angel is common to what we see here is white as snow, kind of pleasing to the eyes, but maybe it wasn't as pleasing as we think because they feared and they trembled and became like dead men. Mainly, they couldn't do anything. This is goes against our fight or flight understanding of things as humanity that they were so afraid they couldn't do anything because they were so fearful. So who knows? They might have been as white as snow, but terrifying at the same time. I'm not sure, but. As we look at scripture, it definitely shows us this uh, resurrection. This is why we have Easter lilies. One of the reasons, also Jesus is like this, um, why we have the season of Easter is white to remind us that all you know, cleanse me and make me as white as snow is a language. The forgiveness that we receive because of this, I think, is something that we can't deny. But then he has a message, and what is the message that he says? The message, interestingly enough speaks against that natural reaction to seeing an angel. So the guards tremble, they become like dead men, they are afraid, but in verse 5, what does the angel say? His message is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. And so for the women, what they are about to discover is an occasion not for fear, but later on, again, hinting at when we get to verse 8 here, joy, joy. 
And so it's interesting, too. I like this. This goes back to a hymn. Um, 466, Christ has arisen. Alleluia. Uh, Do not be afraid, for you know that you seek Je- I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he has said. Uh, you look for Jesus, who is not here, is what that, that hymn says. That's why I love the tune to this one as well. Christ has arisen, alleluia. Rejoice and praise him, alleluia. Okay. Uh, and, and to remind us uh, that not only you look for Jesus, he's not here, by the way. It's like when, when a friend of my, my kids comes over and says, hey, where's Elias? I'll say, he's not here. And at that point, I don't say, hey, go look. <laughs> They're going to trust my words, right? They're going to trust my words. But here the angel knows for a fact that if you say, oh, you look for Jesus, he's not here. If you stop there, there's always going to be a lot of people that say, well, are you sure exactly that that was true? But what does the angel say? Yeah, you see Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6, he's not here for he has risen, which is not something we say to our children's friends when they come looking for them. Yeah, this is something unique. He's still sleeping, yeah, right. (laughs) Something (laughs) utterly unexpected has happened. Yes, not like a sleeping child. Right, right. And then he says, come and see the place where he lay. It's a reminder once again that we don't see it, we don't believe it, that we are ultimately like Thomas's, where we, you know, and this is why Thomas, I've, I've never, I always felt like, you know, hey, Thomas gets that bad rap of being doubting Thomas. But then I'm like, well, then I'm going to be known as doubting Brady because that's, I'm going to be the same exact way. But our Lord gives us those gems to say, see, there's nothing there. Why is, why is that an important piece here where he tells them, come and look um, where he, where he laid? It's one more step. I believe in God convicting these women in their hearts and and in their minds that this in fact has happened. You know, you mentioned doubting Thomas and I am thinking now about the words to another Easter hymn. Mm. Uh, And this one is uh, maybe one that is less frequently sung. These things did Thomas count as real is the name of it. It is in Lutheran service book 472. And it's speaking about Thomas. And then I'll, t- I'll bring this back to the women in just a second. But one of the stanzas from that hymn 472, the vision of his skeptic mind, this is Thomas now, the vision of his skeptic mind was keen enough to make him blind to any unexpected act too large for his small world of fact. Oh, my I think what God is doing here through this invitation to come and see the empty tomb, he's expanding the women's small world of fact. This is so contrary to what is expected. This is uh, so uh, revolutionary. Uh, This is is too good to be true, really. Uh, But by seeing there the empty tomb, some evidence for their own eyes to see, uh, the women are, are being brought to that conviction that Jesus' tomb is empty, and the reason, as the angel says, he has risen. Well, let's talk more about that. We are, boy, we're having a lot of joyous conversation and song and being in God's word, but right now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 28 with Pastor Eric Mulquin, and we'll be right back. (laughs) 
This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO share is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit kfuo.org and click on the donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew 28 this Easter season with Pastor Eric Mulquin of St. John Lutheran Church in Sherwood, Ohio. And Pastor, as we look at this, you mentioned hymn number 472. Uh, These things did Thomas count as real. I have to admit, I've never sung that hymn in church. Uh, Have you sung it before? I don't know that I've ever actually sung it myself, no. I do know uh, the gentleman who wrote it. I I don't know him personally, but I know he was a featured speaker at one of Concordia Seminary St. Louis's Days of Homiletical Reflection back when I was a student there. So I've seen Mr. Troger speak, but I don't know that I've ever sung his hymn in a worship service. Maybe a good one for, uh, is it this coming Sunday when uh, the Doubting Thomas Pericope is appointed? There it is. What a great hymn to include in our proclamation. There it is. A reminder, I already given you a suggestion to sing this hymn this next Sunday. This is another one, possibly yes. at least for us to go through um, and to reflect upon, because this text clearly shows us that the angel knew. Jesus, would, the Lord would have known these people need to be able to have proof. And so this whole idea of, you know, science and everything else, it almost like, oh, that kind of came along after Darwin or something that we really have that desire. No, it's always been there. We need proof. And the Lord worked in history, worked in the physical body, and he worked in a physical place to make sure that we would not only believe it, but that we would see it and believe it. So there it is. Come see the place where he lay. Pastor, verse 7 is a little bit of a transition with the angel's words. Anything else you want to highlight verses 1 through 6? Sure, just briefly. I maybe neglected to mention here in our examination of verse 4, this is probably a sneaky candidate for my favorite verse in this entire pericope. Hmm. And on on first brush, maybe there's not much to mention there. Now, this is the verse about the guards trembling and becoming like dead men. And I almost think, and I have nothing to prove this, of course, that Matthew is sticking this little ironic note in here uh, as a sort of aha or gotcha. Because look at the irony here, verse 4, and for fear of the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And so the guards have fallen asleep like dead men, while the dead man they were guarding, 
that's Jesus, is now alive. So there's this complete reversal of expectations and realities. Um, and what a wonderful little symbol there uh, of Easter itself, a reversal of the order of death blooming into life. Huh. Well, okay, now, now, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to recover from that one because you're right, there's a lot there that I usually just walk right past. But right now, we need to keep moving forward. <laughs> so let's go to verse 7 as we continue because the message to this point is, He's not, he is risen, he's not here, come see the place. All right, so now we've got that proclamation finished. In verse 7, he tells the women to do something. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. I want to stop there. Then the angel is very clear on what they want the women to do. And what what is his message? Yeah, go and tell. In other words, come here and see the evidence. Hear my word that the Lord is risen. And yet, it is not just a word for you. I can imagine the angel thinking or saying this to Mary and the other Mary. But this is a message that's meant to be spread. It is perhaps the most important message in all of world history to that present moment. And it is entrusted here to these two women. And it's not for them to keep to themselves. It's for them to take back, to be spread across the world, starting with Jesus' intimate acquaintances, those disciples. And so the angel says, hey, you have a mission to do. Go, go quickly, in fact. Go with haste. Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, right? There's that word again. Behold, look, look, here it is. Uh, listen up. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And that's another great promise that is there, that that this is not something where we'll probably never see him because then you're always left with more questions. But can you imagine the anticipation for Mary and Mary as he says, you're going to see this guy. You know, you're going you're gonna to meet this guy that has risen from the dead. And, and then he ends with this word, See, I have told you. Any thoughts on those two realities? You're going to see him, and then he says, See, I have told you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, see, I have told you. You know, we've been talking a lot about how the uh, visual inspection of the empty tomb would have helped the women begin to understand. And so there's things they're seeing that are helping them grasp this reality. Equally as important, though, is that message from God himself entrusted to the angel. See, I have told you. I think you see here the word of God at work, sending those women out, convicting them of the good news. And so there's the importance of that message there that they take. See, I have told you, the angel says. He sees, he shows the trustworthiness, I suppose, of his own message, but also that he trusts these women to do it as well. Um, and that's just because these women don't necessarily have any, like, authority, if you will, or position. Um, and this is kind of a reminder as we look through the book of Matthew that Jesus in the Beatitudes says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And continuously, he, in, he, he shows who is the most blessed in the kingdom of God. Well, he, you know, he uses examples like, uh, um, like the, the child you know, plops that child right in the middle of all these religious leaders and says, here is the most blessed. We see poor and poor in spirit people all the time in the gospel of Matthew. 
And here's just another example of not that these women are more poor in spirit or whatever it might be, but they have no position. They have no authority. They don't have, they're not even one of the 12. And they entrust him to go and tell, and they will be able to see the Lord. So I, I, I think that theme really rings true there as well. So anything else in verse 7, Pastor? You make a good mention of the women and their status they would have had in society. You know, in Jewish culture at that time, they would not have been considered fully reliable witnesses, for example, uh, to provide testimony in a court. If this is not true, right, that these women actually found the empty tomb and were charged with taking this message out, if this were not true, it would be an embarrassing little detail for Matthew and the writers of the other Gospels to make up. Sometimes skeptics of Christianity or the Bible, they get into the uh, resurrection accounts especially, and you know they know if you're going to discredit the Christian message, you're going to have to discredit the resurrection. But here I think you have a little token, not to be looked over, of the truthfulness of this account, that this detail of the message being entrusted to these women, if it weren't true, Matthew would have never made it up this way. But here they are, and here they go with that message of Jesus' resurrection, going out to tell the disciples. Verse 8, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So these women definitely listened. <laughs> he said, go quickly, and they went quickly. But it, it it is interesting, the fear and great joy. I mean, how many times in your life, would you equate those two things together at the same time? What is Matthew telling us with those words at the same time? It does seem an unlikely pairing. We think of them perhaps as contradictory, but here the women are with both of those things at once. The joy comes from faith that trusts the angel's message that Jesus is alive. There is this expectation that they will find things just as the angel promised, uh, that they will find their risen Lord. There's this hope that they will see Jesus again soon, and that's where the joy comes from. On the other hand, there is still that fear clinging to them. Uh, Going back to that phrase uh, from the hymn, these things did Thomas count as real, too large for small world of fact, right? I think Mm. still the message of a man risen from the dead it's still uh, too, uh, too large for their small world of fact. They're still having trouble processing it. Uh, and that fear remains, a fear of the unknown. Uh, it's still kind of a reservation that a dead person could actually live. Uh, and so that fear and that joy, they cling to the women at the same time. That's, it, it's very profound and very hard to capture with our minds partly because as you mentioned before you know this is a a a, a change in world history like the cross and the empty tomb are are something that change all of world history how we see the world how the world is and what the world will be this changes everything and we had pastor lance o'donnell just talking about uh, about Christ. And if what Jesus says is true, it changes everything. That this kingdom is so different. And here we could say the same thing. If this truth and resurrection is true, right? If this, if this resurrection is true, it changes everything. 
that the hope is in a resurrection. Our hope, we have hope even in the worst of situations. That we did the worst thing that we can imagine in this life, which is death, there is still hope. And that is why they are joyful with that realization, while at the same time fearful because, you know, we're still trying to put this all together. So it's really, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And we shouldn't try to say, oh, well, we should understand. Well, no, not really. Um, we weren't there. <laughs> so it's, we will understand fully. When Christ does come back, because then it will just be great joy, right? This is going to be great joy. That's what we have. However, boy, what a Matthew captures it beautifully with those words. So anything else, Pastor, in verse 8? Yeah, amen to what you're saying there. It, I'm reminded of St. Paul's words in First Thessalonians 4 mm. regarding the coming of the Lord. He writes, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And he means those who have died. He says, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. I think what St. Paul is saying here is not don't grieve. What he's saying is that Christian grief is different. And the emotion of the women departing from the tomb here with those um, seemingly contradictory feelings of joy and fear, it mirrors the Christian's own experience as they grieve for a loved one of their own. And so, you know, we uh, meet death, the death of a loved one, the death of a friend. Yes, with fear, fear of the unknown, fear of death, the fear of grief and the emptiness that yawns in our spirits, knowing that death is not the way the world is supposed to be. Uh, and yet, in Christ, there is at the same time that joy to know that Jesus is risen and he has given that same promise of eternal life to us by the power of his resurrection. So that joy and that fear... Don't be surprised if you have found it or if you will find it in your own heart as we uh, live in this fallen world where we do face death. And yet, with the hope and joy of Christ's resurrection. Verse 9, And behold, there it is again, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. <laughs> so first of all, behold, look, right? So once again, this is showing Jesus's kingdom. And what's funny, it's not funny, but I think it's just kind of uh, interesting, is that all he says is greetings. That's all he says. I mean, come on now, like something profound or um, like in an American <laughs> language, like, see, I told you so, or something, you know, something. But it's just simply right. greetings is all he says. But then I want to I highlight this is that it says they took hold of his feet. They could have just said they got on their knees and emphasized that, but the emphasis of holding of his feet, why is that important as we look at this uh, resurrection account? Yeah, that particular emphasis there of taking hold of Jesus' feet, you know what it shows us? And this is a detail that's so obvious that we might even overlook it and deem it not worth saying out loud. But if the women are taking hold of Jesus' feet, what does that mean? It means that this guy has feet. And upon those feet of flesh are legs of flesh and a torso of flesh and arms of flesh. This guy, this man, Jesus, has bodily risen from the dead. This is no ghost. This is no apparition. This is no... Uh, fragment of grief, a hallucination, if you will, because of their trauma. 
this man has a body, and they are at Jesus' feet, his fleshly feet. The resurrection of Christ is a bodily one, just as ours will be on the last day when Christ returns. So let's not overlook that important fact that Jesus had feet. <laughs> there it is, right there it is. Well, well, I'll make that the title of our, uh, our, our our summary of our time today. Jesus had feet. Amen. Go home. Um. Anyways, there it is. Um. But then it says, and worshipped him, and that's an important word that you've highlighted. Why is that that they worshipped him? Kind of a well, it is it is a comforting reality, but it has wider meaning as well. What are your thoughts? Sure is. Yeah, worship is a very significant word here, showing that the women understand the divinity of Jesus uh, and his unique power, uh, being the Son of God, having risen from the dead here. This word, worship, is one that comes up a few times in Matthew. Uh, For example, it's the verb that Satan wants Jesus to do to him when he tempts him in the wilderness. Satan beckons to Jesus. he, He says to him that he should fall down and worship me. Uh, So Satan wants Jesus' worship. Of course, Jesus resists. It also comes up in chapter 14. The disciples worship Jesus. It's the same verb there. Uh, They worship Jesus by telling him, truly, you are the Son of God. And that's in chapter 14, after Jesus walks on water. So they see Jesus' power over nature by walking on water. And their response is to worship him and to call him the Son of God. The same thing is at play here with these women, taking hold of Jesus' feet, worshiping him, recognizing who he is and the power that he has as God's son. It's a very unique and significant word there, worship. It's also a reminder for us to, well, worship the king, which is another uh, wonderful hymn for us to remember, because this king uh, is different than any other. All the other kings died and, and stayed dead. But not like we mentioned with David um, in the scriptures. But this king rose, and so he is worthy of our praise, if I can say it that way. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What's the message that Jesus has? You know what? It's the same message of the angel, but it, it has, you know, it's obviously from Jesus, not an angel. What are your thoughts on his on his sending or his message to the women? Yeah, isn't it interesting that Jesus uh, has to repeat, or at least chooses to repeat, those same words that were given by the mouth of the angel. Do not be afraid. We know that it didn't quite work when the angel said it, right? Because he says, don't be afraid, but then the women depart with fear. Uh, So it hasn't quite hit them yet that this is a moment of joy fully and completely. Uh, The fear is still lingering there. And so Jesus, he identifies that and he speaks to that saying to them, don't be afraid. He tells them to go to Galilee to tell the brothers, you know, he means the disciples. It's an important detail because Jesus uh, in Matthew's gospel, he says to his disciples, before his crucifixion, before his suffering, he tells them that after he is raised up, he's going to go before them and meet them in Galilee. This is a particular mention of a specific place, and it harkens back to the specific promises that Jesus has made, uh, even before his crucifixion. It's as if I were to say to you, Brady, well, let's meet up and let's meet uh, at the Circle K. Okay, I'm giving you a particular place. Uh, And so they know where to meet Jesus. It's the same place he promised beforehand, go to Galilee. 
that's where they'll meet up with him. Once again, the joy of knowing that God worked in history, that he worked in, 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 in physical places with physical people, um, is very profound. I was um, talking to one of our brother pastors the other day, and I was talking about my joy of anticipation for Palm Sunday, which I just love Palm Sunday. It's probably my favorite, one of my favorite, I mean, one of my favorites, but probably the one that I remember distinctively as a child and always look forward to Palm Sunday. And one of his comments to me was he actually walked the road um, from Bethany into Jerusalem. And, and it, it's just one of those great reminders that, that he worked in history. What a gift it is that our God, this is ironic because this is incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas, is that, you know, that he dwelt among us um, and gives us grace upon grace, and we are able to uh, relate with it. He's able to relate with us. Uh, he knows temptation, as you mentioned, when the, the, the devil tempted him to worship him. But we worship the king of kings who lived in history, is physical with us, um, becomes physical like us, and gives us physical things like, well, as I will go in this direction, is water and, and the word and, and bread and wine to work with us. I, all that connected to when they um, touched his feet and he tells them to go. Uh, it all comes together in knowing our Lord is there for us. And I think it goes back to Romans 8. You know, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Boom, it's all right there in time in history for you. Any last thoughts on the resurrection, Pastor? I think you got it. Just great. He keeps his promises, as you mentioned, in the water, in the word, in the supper. And here he's keeping that promise to his disciples. He's going to go before them to Galilee. And there the women go off to tell. So, Pastor, as we look at the resurrection account, it, it, it is quite refreshing for me to see how simplistic it is. Um, there's, there's no mention of the disciples hearing. Um, there's no mention of any other details, like for, I know other ones have more details of, well, what, what, what was in that tomb? You know, what was there? And here, it's just simply, they saw it, they went and told, Jesus met them, and they went and told. And that's it. <laughs> that was really quite quite fascinating. Any thoughts on, I would say, the simplistic approach that Matthew has in the resurrection? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. The importance of that message being spread and the power of that message to bring to faith. And isn't that exactly what we are doing as pastors in this Easter season? We are just bringing that message. We are proclaiming. We are doing as uh, the angel says, go and tell, go quickly and tell, right? Uh, and that's what we're doing as is, is, uh, God's messengers in the pulpit. And that's what any of our listeners, God's people, can and will be doing in their own lives, to share that message with those in their family, those among their friends, those they worship with at church, to share that message that the Lord is risen. That's a an instruction that we grow into and that we carry out in our lives to be people who speak that good news that Christ is risen. And I think it is really as simple as what we do often in our tradition as Lutherans is that we will say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. That message itself, one, when you say the word indeed, it is, well, this is true. You know, this is the behold, <laughs> the behold Mathian way of talking in that. And we say, hallelujah, because it's a joyous thing. And so that simple message right there uh, is, is simple, 
not profound, not long, you know, but it is something that we share this message, and it's a quick message, but it is a powerful one that lasts for eternity. So, Pastor, we have about five minutes left in our time. Uh, 11 through 15 we have left, so I'm just going to read the whole thing and highlight what we have here because it really comes down to this. When they say, come and see, it's important to have that because there's going to be some who say, well, did they really see? Did they really know? And this is the same truth for us today. Verses 11 through 15. While they were going, behold, there it is. Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you all to trouble. So they took the money and did as they dictated. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So, Pastor, uh, you know, the, the, the rumor was out that Christ had risen. And how did the religious leaders respond? They knew what was at stake. They knew in order to counter the movement of their opponent, Jesus, that they would have to deal really seriously with this report that he was dead and is now alive. They understand they got to strike straight to this, uh, this story, this report of Jesus' resurrection. And so they make up what they believe is an adequate lie to counter the truth of Christ's resurrection. Matthew is dealing with this. You know, he says there at the end in verse 15, that the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So in some sense, this lie has gained traction, and Matthew apparently believes that it's important to provide these details to defend the resurrection against those early lies about why the tomb was empty. He's helping the Christian be able to defend and to understand the truth of Jesus' empty tomb. As the angel says, it's because Christ is risen. And it's interesting because there is a, a, a similar message of tell people, right? So go and tell. That's the message of the angel and of Christ. And the message of the chief priest is also go and tell. But one is the truth and one is a lie. And it's a reminder for us, like you talked about the temptation of the devil, is that the proclamation that we have is going to be met with the proclamation of the anti-truth which is that, well, you'd say that, but this is what I say. And for us, we have to just always know that that, that message will be out there. Like, how do you really know? Do you really know? Uh, is, is this real? And then there is a very concerted effort to, uh, to try to be a counter message in that. And that's important for us to remember that what we do is proclaim. We can't change people's hearts. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Well, we simply proclaim the truth, for there always will be other um, anti-truths out there. Pastor, anything else in those verses? Yeah, the stakes are high. And I'm thinking here of, of course, Brady, another hymn. (laughs) This one, if Christ had not been raised from death, here's what it says. If Christ had not been raised from death, our faith would be in vain, our preaching but a waste of breath, our sin and guilt remain. But now the Lord is risen indeed. He rules in earth and heaven. His gospel meets a world of need. In Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God that that lie from Jesus' opponents 
was defeated in the early days of the Christian church and going forward. And the truth uh, was proclaimed and spread and was believed that there is no if, right? If Christ had not been raised from dead, but the if is taken away and the if is replaced with is. Christ Mm -hmm. is risen. Christ is living. That is hymn number 486. Another one that I have don't think I've sung in church as a pastor. Um, yeah, maybe they sang it as a kid. I forgot about it. But anyways, that's another great hymn to ask your pastor to sing this next Sunday. So, Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. How would you summarize our text and, and encourage our listeners? Well, this is just a time of such great joy in our lives as Christians. Easter Another hymn says, is the queen of seasons. That's come you faithful, raise the strain, number 487. Uh, This is a time of such great reassurance, uh, whether we are thinking back to those times in our life when we have spent in grief for our friends and family, whether it's looking forward with an honest estimation into our own future, knowing that unless the Lord returns first, of course, we face our own day of death at some time in the future. But the resurrection of Christ, the empty tomb, his power over death, it gives us the right frame of mind to meet all of those fears and all of that apprehension with that joy that our Lord has risen. And so because he has risen, we will too. Pastor Eric Mulquin of St. John Lutheran Church in Sherwood, Ohio, giving us God's strong word from Matthew 28. Pastor Mulquin, alleluia, Christ is risen. He is, he is risen. risen indeed. Hallelujah. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Thank I'm, you. I'm your host, Brady Fender, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>